new this week, and I wanted to really uh, do something different. I've been praying about that. And as I was getting the message prepared and kind of praying over it, I really felt like the Lord was leading to Lamentations. You may say, why Lamentations? Lamentations is the book of the Bible that Jeremiah wrote when Jerusalem was being besieged by Babylon. We made reference to that last week. The siege lasted about a year and a half or so, and Jerusalem was eventually utterly destroyed by Babylon, and that's when the nation ceased to exist. It's called Lamentations because it's a very sad book, a lot of lamenting, obviously. But in this book... It's very honest and straightforward. And so before we start something new next week, I really felt like the Lord said, you got to do this book here as just kind of the final statement of what we did. We just spent the last few months going through First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, the entire history of the kingdom of Judah. Well, this is kind of the last point of the kingdom of Judah, how it ended. It did not end good. It did not end well. And what can we learn from this? Remember what we said in our study through Chronicles. These people were given to us as examples, examples of what to do, examples of what not to do. Now, before we get into Lamentations itself, a lot of verses I want to share with you. These verses are honest. These verses are straightforward. And I hope that makes you stop and think. A couple Sundays ago, we said we want you to fundamentally change how you look at daily life. Every interaction can become a divine interaction. Just be let the Spirit lead and see if the Lord's opening a door. We talked about this Sunday. We want to change the way you look at mornings, how you start your day off with the Lord. Okay, today, or I should say tonight, I want you to look at this as a spiritual checkup, like you're going to the doctor. And as you're going to the doctor, I want you to stop and think How am I doing spiritually with this? Because Lamentations is such an honest book. Now, no one likes those type of spiritual checkups. Sometimes people don't even like the physical checkups. I took two of my kids to their well child checkups this last week. And uh, the deal is this, that if you have to get a shot, we go out and do something afterwards. So the kids are always excited. I took two of the boys. They were very excited because they were going to get a shot that day. So they were already thinking about what they were going to do. So we got there. Kid number one, I won't say their names because I don't embarrass them. Kid number one did fine. He knew the shot was coming. He could handle it. The other kid was being just as brave until they started talking about it. And as they started talking about the shot, which shot to get, oh, man, the tears started flowing. Next thing you know, fear was there. And so as they left the room to go get the shot, he leans over to me in tears. And he goes, Dad, if I cry during the shot, will I still get my reward? And I said, don't worry about it, buddy. You know, don't worry about it. We prayed together, and he did fine. But there's that fear, that fear of what if, that fear of pain, that fear of this or that. And sometimes people don't want to go to the doctor because ignorance is bliss. I would rather not know if there's anything wrong with me and just continue on with life. Well, the same thing sometimes happens spiritually. People don't want to know if something's wrong in their life or in their marriage or in their walk or anything. And so I'd rather just not know and pretend that everything's fine. That doesn't line up biblically. And Lamentations is an honest book to say, yeah, we have to really get to the the meat of this and see what's going on. So before we get to that, let's just talk about some of these verses. Let's go here first. Go to Galatians 6, please. Galatians 6. As you're going to Galatians 6, I just want to remind you of the verses that we touched on last week in 1 Peter 4, where it says that judgment begins at the house of God. As believers, we're called to a different moral standard. Parents, if you have kids at home, you know you've run into this. Why are they allowed to go do this? Well, you were raised in a different moral standard. Our rule is this. We are not doing that at this house. 
So as believers, there's a different moral standard than what the world has. We're called to the standard of Christianity. I claim to be a Christian. That means I follow Christ. So therefore, there's certain things that the world says is okay. It's okay to watch. It's okay to listen to. It's okay to say. It's okay to do. Sorry, it's not okay to God the Father. It's not. As a Christian, there's a different standard. And so Peter is telling us judgment begins at the house of God. We should stop and focus on that. So let's build on that point. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, most of the time, I just put the verses up on the slides there. I, I want us to read these. I want us to mark these. I want us to take our time tonight and not treat this like a typical Bible study, but just really look at this. God's not mocked. God's not deceived. You may be fooling us. I may be fooling you, but I'm not fooling God. Every action I do is sowing some type of seed. And it's either going to take me deeper in my walking relationship with Christ, it's either going to strengthen my marriage, strengthen my witness, or it's not. Eventually, those seeds are all going to grow. In verse 7, I'm going to reap whatever I've planted. It's going to happen. So if I sow to the flesh, verse 8, I'm going to get corruption. But if I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to get everlasting life. Now just think about that. Your daily routine, your daily actions, your daily words with your spouse, your daily words with co-workers, the time you spend in the Word, the time you spend in prayer, what you listen to, what you watch, all that is planting some type of seed. I'm not saying this to be legalistic, and I'm not saying this to step on your toes. I'm saying stop and think about this. Because the book of Lamentations is for hundreds of years, Judah planted seeds that were ungodly. And eventually that crop came up, and when that crop came up, judgment came. What type of seeds are you planting in your life, in your witness, in your marriage, in your relationships? Flesh or of spirit? Okay, let's build on this a little bit more. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 9 now? 1 Corinthians 9. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. There's lots of amazing words in there. First off, it's supposed to be a disciplining of my body. My body does not like self-control in any way whatsoever. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want to think about my words I want to let my emotions just come right out of my mouth. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to say what I want to say. I want to do what I want to do. And I sometimes look at the world and think, wow, what would it be like to live with no self-control? Just do what you want, when you want, how you want. And the world chalks that up to freedom. Now, Paul teaches us in Romans 6, that's not freedom. It's being a slave to sin, actually. But here, verse 27, disciplining your body. That's not fun. That's not fun in any way whatsoever. But we want to be in the best spiritual shape we can be, and so therefore I need to discipline it. And look at verse 27. I need to bring it into subjection. That idea that my body wants to get out of order, wants to get out of hand, and I'm constantly trying to remind myself of what to look at, what not to look at. We were at a a public pool not that long ago at a hotel. And so we were in there swimming, we're doing our thing, 
and there was a couple gals that were kind of dressed inappropriately. So one started walking this way, so I thought, okay, what I do is I just look that way, right? Well, then one started coming this way. So I'm, now I'm getting cornered. I just closed my eyes and looked at the ground. It probably looked like I had the worst migraine in the world. Now, that's bringing my body into subjection. That's disciplining it. That's saying I don't want to, even though my flesh wants to let my eyes wander. And my No, I need to discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Everything I do is a light and a witness. I was just listening to a message today. I'm still listening to it. And it was a question-answer session of some uh, Calvary pastors. They had a recent pastor's conference. And one of the questions they brought up was they asked on an update on of a pastor that fell a couple years ago, uh, fell into pornography, adultery, etc. And basically they were talking about that word, being disqualified. What does that look like when your witness just becomes so totally shot? Now, what Paul is saying here is, listen, your ongoing life is going to be a discipline. Your ongoing life is going to be subjecting your body to rules and regulations because God says it is what's best. That's a hard thing to do. Tying that into lamentations, Judah, for hundreds of years, said, yeah, I don't need to worry about disciplining my body. I don't need about uh, bringing it into subjection. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, and so therefore there's no judgment. And what happens in lamentations, the judgment comes. One more passage before we actually get to lamentations. Like I said, we're going to take our time here tonight. 2 Corinthians, please, 13. 2 Corinthians 13. Follow our logic. 1 Peter 4, 17. Judgment begins at the house of God. We have a different moral standard. The next point there that happened was Galatians 6. Whatever I sow, I will reap. Either sow deeper in my marriage, and my walk with Christ, or I'm going to sow into my flesh. 1 Corinthians 9. It's a discipline. It's bringing into subjection. I can't do it on my own. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. Now look at the honesty of this passage here in 2 Corinthians 13. This is a pretty straightforward passage Paul is writing. Verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust you will know that we are not disqualified. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. That's a good question to ask ourselves. To say, Lord, is my life really the life I think it is? Am I really living for you? Am I really stopping and saying, Lord, I'm yours? Or am I, am I just showing up? Am I just showing up on Sundays, showing up on Wednesdays? Yeah, I got some devotional time. Yeah, I talk a good talk. I even walk a good walk a little bit here and there. Or is this a genuine, I stop in Christ, it's all about you? Once again, tying this into Lamentations. It wasn't genuine to them. Now, they looked good. They sounded good at certain times. But the Bible says their heart was far from the Lord. So we need to stop here tonight before we even get into the book of Lamentations and put all this together. Is this real? Is this what we want? Is this something where, okay, Lord, I realize the subjection, the discipline, say no to what I need to say no to, say yes to what I need to say yes to, not in a legalistic have-to way, but in a, Lord, I desire your best for me. And since I desire your best for me, that means I will discipline my body. I will bring it into subjection. I will test myself. I will have that spiritual checkup to see if this is real and on the up and up. Now, anybody have any quick questions, comments about that before we go on? 
Okay, what I want to do now is I want to just take a moment and let's stop. Let's just stop and pray here as a group of believers for this. Lord, as we come to you now, we are opening up everything to you. You, you already see us, Lord. You search us and try us, your word says. You see my thoughts. You see our thoughts. You see our motives. You see everything. In the name of Jesus, we want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to plant seeds spiritually. We want to discipline our bodies and bring the suggestion through your Holy Spirit. We want to have a genuine, real faith in all that we say and do. And I pray at this moment, right here, right now, let your Holy Spirit speak to us. Help us to learn from this example of lamentations. Help us to be able to be honest with ourselves. Are we in rebellion? Are we backsliding? Are we moving forward in you? And Lord, through your spirit and your spirit alone, give us the strength and the heart's desire to want more of you and always say and do in your name. Amen. Lamentations. Not the most cheerful book in the Bible. We're not going to do a verse by verse on this. We're going to cover the whole book tonight. I just kind of want to hit the high points. Let's talk about what's going on here first. Chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Talking about Israel. Judah, her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. What do we learn right from that first verse there? Their sin brought this punishment on them. Their sin brought this punishment on them. Same chapter, verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile, depending on your translations, unclean, filthy rags. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. She has sinned, and so therefore this is the result of it. Now we live in a society today where there's a huge victim mentality, isn't it? It's not my fault. I only said that because you said something to me first. I only lashed out at you because of what you did to me. I tell you, James makes it very clear in the book of James, when you sin, it is your fault and your fault alone. You can't blame that on anybody else. Now, granted, they may have fueled the fires. Granted, they may be wrong for what they've said and done. But ultimately, it's between you and the Lord alone. And this is what Lamentations is saying right from the beginning. Nation of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, You brought this on yourself. For hundreds of years, you chose to go down this path. You have sinned, and in God's discipline, he is now getting your attention because you were in rebellion. Look at verse 18, chapter 1. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all people, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. And verse 20, See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, at home it is like death. Okay, just be honest with yourself. Have you ever been in a spiritual rebellion with the Lord? Have you ever just been in that season of life where you know what you're doing you shouldn't be doing? Have you ever been in that season of, I know I should go apologize to him. I know I shouldn't do this. I know I should read more. I know I should pray more. And the interesting thing about that season of rebellion, God never forces you to do it. He never forces you to do it, does he? He just wants you to. And what happens is when I choose to be in spiritual rebellion, I, this is what I've noticed in my personal life, and I've had moments of rebellion in my life where, Lord, I know what you're calling me to do, and I really don't care. Guess what? My joy and peace level just start decreasing like you wouldn't believe. There's no joy in the Lord. 
There is no peace in the home. There's no peace in my personal private life. I can't have peace in anything. I can't have joy in anything. Why? Because I am in rebellion. And what does the book of Nehemiah say? Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So therefore, since I don't have joy in my walk with the Lord, guess what? I have no strength in my walk with my Lord. My world is just completely, utterly falling apart. Now, at this moment, you have to stop and say, whose fault is it? Well, if you're in rebellion, it's never your fault. It's the people I work with. It's the people I live with. It's the church I go to. It's the pastor I have. It's just everybody else's fault. The Lord is really just going to stop and say, listen, you've got to be real with yourself. Do you want me? Do you really want me? Because if you don't want me, I'm not going to force myself on you. But this is the result of moving away from me. Remember what it says in James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He promises you that. Nation of Israel, Judah here, Jerusalem. They had chosen to go down in rebellion. They have chosen as a nation to rebel, to go into sin. This is the result. What is the result? Chapter 2, please. Verse 11. The result is this, my eyes fail with tears, my heart is troubled, my bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they swoon like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. Say in chapter 2, go to verse 20. See, O Lord, and consider, to whom have you done this? Should the woman eat their offspring? The children they have cuddled, should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? And one more verse on just what has happened. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. That's what was going on in Jerusalem during this siege that went on for a year and a half plus. As they got so desperate that the women started eating their children. Now... That's rebellion. That's judgment. That's, that's sin. And what has happened is this. Now, granted, that's not going to happen in northwest Ohio, right? Well, not physically, but I've seen people spiritually just devour their own families in sin. And next thing you know, the whole family's falling apart. Why? Because of sin. Okay, granted, they're not out there boiling their children, but they've lost any relationship they have with them. You see, people choose sin over other stuff, and the same thing happens. Their life is besieged, just like Jerusalem is. And next thing you know, they are resorting to those type of things to survive. And it's never their fault. It's difficult. So, what does our gracious, loving God do? Well, that's what I love about Lamentations. Even though this is one of the most difficult, saddest books in the Bible, there's this great spot right smack dab in the middle of the book in chapter 3 where it just explodes with grace. See, look at chapter 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. You've got to love that verse. This is why I want you to go. If you feel led, mark it, underline it. They are new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. So I, I don't know what's happened today. I don't know how bad today was for you. But I know when you wake up tomorrow, God has a whole new fresh group of mercy for you. He has a whole new group of grace for you. And he wants to give it to you. To say, I'm going to give you enough strength to get through the day. Okay, well, what about tomorrow? We don't worry about tomorrow. Remember that? 
There's enough worry for today. We don't worry about tomorrow. And what does we always say? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you're going to get me through today. And sometimes it's not even day by day. It may be hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. You, you never know. But you have to trust that it says right here, his mercy is there. His compassions fail not, verse 22. They are new every morning. His faithfulness is amazing. So therefore you hope in him. Look at verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah is writing this book while women are eating their children. And what is Jeremiah saying? Guys, every morning when we wake up, his mercy is still with us, though. Guys, every morning when we wake up, his faithfulness is still there. It's still here, even though we don't see it. Guys, it's good for us to trust in him. It's good for us to wait on him. Jump down to verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief. Yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Guys, he's not going to cast us off forever. This is not going to continue forever. There will be an end to this. But at this moment, right here, right now, we survive in his grace and mercy. I heard a teaching recently about the um, armor of God that we're supposed to put on. And they taught about the shield of faith. I've never heard anybody teach it this way before. He says, what is the shield? And obviously the shield is a defensive shield. Obviously that's what it's for. I always envisioned the defensive shield, this idea of you're running into battle, you're swinging the sword of the Spirit, you got your shield out, and you're just fighting. He said, sometimes in your Christian walk, the only thing you do is put your shield on the ground and you just cower behind it. Just in faith, you just sit there and say, Lord, I can't even move, but you're going to see me through this. Your shield of faith is going to get me through. That's what's happening here in Lamentations. Guys, we're being besieged. Our world is literally falling apart, but his mercy is new every morning. We're going to trust in his faithfulness. And as we trust in his faithfulness, what are we supposed to do? Same chapter, verse 40. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not pardoned. We're in sin, so what do we need to do? Verse 40, search out, examine, and get Focus back on the Lord. Boy, that's, that's the answer right there. That's the answer for our nation. That's the answer for our families. That's the answer for us as individuals. Is, is Listen, why, why stay in rebellion? Why boil your children? Examine your ways. Turn back to the Lord. Lift your hearts. Give yourself over to the hands of God. And trust that he will see you through this. Because that's what he will. Because there is an end. Jump ahead to chapter 4, please. Chapter 4. Verse 22. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. There's an end. This siege will end. The time in Babylon will end. Nation will be restored, even though it doesn't seem like it will at this point. Right now, if you're here tonight, and your spiritual walk is not a walk, it's at best a crawl. Aren't you glad his mercies are new every morning? Start afresh. Start again. You know, I can't. Yeah, you can. This season will end and you can move forward in him. You can move forward in your walk and your witness. You can move forward at work. You can move forward at home. You can move forward in your marriage. I don't know where you're at. You can move forward in it because his mercies are new every morning. And there is an end to this. Same book, chapter 5. How does it finish up? Verse 15. 
The joy of our heart has ceased. Maybe that describes some of you. There is no joy in your heart anymore. Our dance has turned into mourning. There's no joy. The crowd has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, that's Jerusalem, with foxes walking about on it. You, O Lord, remain forever. You're a throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us. I mean, how many of us have been in verses 15 through 18? My heart has ceased. The joy of my heart has ceased. My dancing has turned to mourning. Um, I'm, my heart has grown faint. My eyes are growing dim. There's desolation all around me. But what do we do? Verse 21. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days of old. That's the beauty of Lamentations. It's a book of also a fresh start. To say, I want things to be different. I want it to be different in my walk. I want it to be different in all that I say and do. And what I wanted to do this book tonight is to show you there are consequences to sin. This is what's happened to Chronicles, I should say, at the end of Chronicles, to Jerusalem because of their sin. But in the midst of judgment, there's always grace. God says, listen, I have to discipline you. I have to. But I'm only doing it to get your attention, Israel. I'm only doing it to do that. Same thing happens for us today. If I choose to go sow seeds into my flesh and I reap of the flesh, I'm going to lose my joy, my peace. I'm going to lose it all. And I'm going to be walking in lamentations. Now, what am I going to do with that information? Am I going to stay there? Or am I going to stop and say, this is not what I want? I want things to be different. Lord, turn my heart back to you. And that's what we have to stop and ask ourselves. Tonight, is there something in our lives that we need to turn back to you, O Lord? i got two passages I want to end with, and they're both in Psalms. Psalm 139, please, and Psalm 26. Psalm 139 and and Psalm 26. 139 and then also Psalm 26. We'll do the Psalm 139 one first. As we're going to Psalms, any questions, comments here about anything with lamentations or just anything that we've talked about thus far, the history of it, or just any of just the spiritual that we've talked about? Okay. Psalm 139, that one's probably pretty familiar to you. That's the one we use almost every time we do communion out here. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a straightforward passage. God, you know me better than anybody. Search me. Open up all those hidden little closets. Open up everything in my life. Search me. Know me. Try me. Test me. Know my iniquities. Know my anxieties. Know my sins. And then, Lord, now lead me. Lead me in the path. Now, here's the deal about being led. You have to choose to follow. Remember the altar calls of Jesus in the Gospels? Follow me. Come. We just talked about that on Sunday with Peter walking on the water. He looked to Peter and just said, come. That's all he said. Jesus is not going to force anything. He's not going to make you go deeper than what you want to go. You have to choose to want it. If you don't choose to want it, you're going to stay at the spiritual spot where you want to stay. Now, I think you miss out on a lot. That's the beauty of the Lord. He's always encouraging us to go deeper. Go to Psalm 26 now, please. Psalm 26. I I love this one. 
Psalm 26, verses 2 and 3. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Psalm 26 says this in the New Living Translation. I love it. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives in my heart. For I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. Listen to verse 2 one more time. This is New Living Translation. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives in my heart. Test my motives in my heart. Now, why would God have to test my motives in my heart? Because I have realized that my own motives and heart are wicked. I used to say phrases like this, and I still do. Trust my heart. Know my heart. I care. Because what I'm really saying is I know my heart better than anybody. Okay, what does God say in the book of Jeremiah? That my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And he says that I alone, the Lord, know the man's heart. So even sometimes when I think I'm pure in my actions and in my words, I'm not as pure as I think I am. Dawn just corrected me on this a couple weeks ago. We were having a discussion about something like that. And she said something about, you know, sometimes I don't think you realize how you come across. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you don't realize how you come across. I said, I'm not yelling, right? She goes, nope, you're not yelling. I said, I'm not screaming. She goes, nope, you're not screaming. I'm not hitting anything, am I? Nope, not throwing anything. Nope. Nope, she said, you're very calm, very straightforward. She goes, but you're still a jerk. But the point is, sometimes we don't realize how we come across. She didn't call me a jerk. I want to make that clear. Because she'll listen to this, and then I'll get in trouble. But the point is, she said, "Just she goes seriously." She, and it, she was she was very straightforward, and I appreciated it. She, just just pray about how you come across. Because I had talked to two other people that day, and I had her come in and sit down with me, and got done talking to them, and she said, "You were kind of hard on them." I said, "I wasn't hard." She goes, "Yeah, you were." And I did the same thing. Did I yell at them? No. Did you scream? No. Did I throw something? Of course, I didn't throw something at them. Did I hit them? No, you didn't hit them. But then how was I wrong? Because you don't realize how you're coming across. And in my mind, I'm being the perfect gentleman and the perfect representation of Jesus Christ because I'm not doing those four things. Yelling, screaming, hitting, or punching. What I see right here in Psalm 26, put me on trial, Lord, cross-examine me, test my motives in my heart. Wow. Sometimes I don't even realize how I come across. And Lord, I have to go to you. Same thing with anything spiritual. Once again, don't turn this into a legalistic message because it's not. It's about grace. God just loves us. But I must be doing fine spiritually because look at how much I read every day. I must be doing fine spiritually because look at how much I pray. I must be doing good spiritually because I'm at church all the time. and all. The... Okay, Lord, but test my heart. Test my motives. Examine me. Because the nation of Judah at this time, when Lamentations was written, they thought they were doing great. God says, yeah, your heart's not with me. Boy, how often has that happened in our walk with the Lord, where from an outside perspective, everything looks great, but our heart isn't there. Our heart isn't there. It's not a fun message to listen to. That idea of bringing our body into subjection, disciplining our body, examining ourselves, it's not something we enjoy doing. It's not. But to truly be the people that God has called us to be and to truly go to that level that he's called us to be, there needs to be an openness, there needs to be an honesty, and we need to stop every now and then and have a message like this and say, Lord, really get into my life and show me, reveal to me where I am failing. And then now, Lord, lead me, 
lead me in the way of everlasting. And I hope and pray that when you leave here tonight that there's an honesty, and maybe there's an honesty that hurts a little bit, but there's an honesty between you and the Lord where the Lord says, yeah, you're wrong, but I still love you, and I'm going to lead you into the path of righteousness now. That's the goal. Because it's not just to come, be the same. No, come, be different. God has called us to be different in this world, to be a light and a witness and always say and do. Have an open, honest conversation between you and the Lord. And you may end up having to go have an open, honest conversation with your spouse, with your coworkers, friends, family members. I don't know. But have an honest conversation and say, Lord, am I the man or woman you have called me to be? And if not, Lord, lead me. Because you don't want to live lamentations. You don't. Search me, try me, know me. Now, Lord, let me be the person you've called me to be. Judgment begins at the house of God. That's us. Anybody have any final questions, comments here? Surely. Great verse. Working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Best example I've ever heard of is this. Problem is when we hear that verse of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it sounds like we're working towards salvation, and that's not what that verse is saying in any way whatsoever. If I would decide to go work out, and I would decide to work out, and I decided to work on my biceps. Okay, bicep means what? Bi, two. I have two muscles in my biceps. I don't lift weights for a month, and all of a sudden my bicep becomes a tricep. Does not happen. If I work on my triceps, my triceps do not become quadriceps. They don't. I can't create new muscle. I'm working out the muscles I already have to make them stronger, to make them more effective, to more toned. Same thing with working out my salvation. I'm not working my salvation out and saying I'm creating salvation for me. I'm taking the salvation I already have in Jesus Christ and being saved and born again. And what I'm doing is I'm strengthening my walk in Christ. I'm helping myself go deeper in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Once again, I'm not creating salvation. I'm not working for salvation. The salvation's there. The salvation is becoming stronger. It's called a sanctification. I'm going deeper in Jesus Christ. Same thing with the muscles. You know, you may not notice it. You may not look. Everybody wants what's called the six-pack abs. Everybody has six-pack abs. Some are just more covered in flesh than other people's six-pack abs. They're all there. I have biceps. They're amazing. You just can't see them. Somebody may have salvation, but they need to work on it. And it's not work to be saved. It's not work to get saved. But listen, if you're claiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, go work out your salvation. Go deeper in him. You're not creating that muscle. That muscle's already there. So work out your salvation. Grow. Go deeper in your walking relationship with Christ. We don't need any more flabby Christians. we got tons of those. Anybody else got anything? Kathy. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Yeah, the results. It's already there. The result is already there. Now work hard to show that. Show the world that you're a different person walking in Jesus Christ. Not that you work to get it, but it's there. Show it. There you go. It's a good verse. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, tough book tonight, but an honest book, a needed book. I pray if there's someone here tonight that does need to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. I pray that you're speaking to their heart right now. Lord, help us to plant seeds to go deeper in you and all that we say and do, to not plant seeds of deception or wickedness, but to sow seeds of righteousness. Lord, in you, for you. Lord, help us be the people you have called us to be. 
to, to be different in all that we say and do, Lord. And let that difference be seen to the world. So as your word says, but let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you, Lord. Not glorify us, but glorify you. Help us to be open and honest with ourselves through your spirit. Search us and try us and know us, Lord. Lead us in the path of righteousness. And Lord, as we get to start something new next week, bless that. Give us wisdom and guidance and direction. We give you Friday fellowship. We give you Sunday fellowship with the um, uh, motorcycle run. And Lord, I just pray that you'd keep them safe. Thank you for VBS. We pray those seeds would continue to grow. Thank you for being a God that loves and cares. In your name, amen. Hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. If you need to pray about anything, don't be afraid to come up, talk to us, whatever we can do. You guys have a blessed week.